Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and I hope you have been enjoying the 2023 50 Most Relevant. A little over a week left to go in this series. Don't you worry, my friends. We've got plenty of podcasts and articles coming for you, though, right ahead of round one, let alone what we're going to bring you for the 2023 fantasy footy season. Number nine today on the podcast, Gold Coast legend, Took Miller. Joining me on this episode, as he has right throughout the 50 most relevant, is Jordox. Hello, buddy. How are you? I'm good, mate. Top 10 now, so... Yeah, we're getting to the pointy end. It's pretty Yeah, exciting. we make you go after Selby too on the podcast after Rids. So, you know, we continue, you know, to make life just challenging and Bring fun. Bring out the you. big guns. Yeah, that, that's what we're doing <laughs> in the top 10, mate. Don't you worry about that. Let, let's talk about this mid-20s Gold Coast Sun midfielder. There were some really nice scores that we got last year. A 147 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team was his highest score of the year. Why is 167 against the Kangaroos in Supercoach? is actually his career high score in that format. Speaking of career highs, you just got to go back to 2021 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, where against the Hawks, he posted up a 160. 109.8 is his average price point in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. And so in those formats, he's pushing the million-dollar market, but just shy. He's fourth, well, not even, not even 4,000 shy in Dream Team. 3,100 shy of that million-dollar marker. 972k in fantasy while he's one of just a handful of guys four players getting that 120 average last year he was 120.3 he's going to sit you back at a price point of 662,400 and we'll talk about his 2021 and his 2022 seasons in depth in a moment Jordox but for the most part over the past 40 to 50 games of football when you're looking at durable, reliable, high-scoring ceiling, really high-scoring floor, low-scoring deviation. There's not been meta, many better across the formats, is there, than Tuke Miller? No, there hasn't been. And that, that breakout in 2021, and I'm sure we'll go into a bit more detail on, on what that season looked like. Like, that was a monster season. And, you know, he's a little bit under the radar this pre-season, I mean, the ownership numbers, I think we might have a look at later, but would suggest otherwise. But I'm not hearing his name. I'm not yeah. seeing there much talk about him. Um, and I think he's, he's very similar to Jack Steele in that it kind of feels like he had a poor 2022, but that's because the year before was a monster, you know, 120 plus averaging season. And looking at his 2022 season, it's pretty comparable. He's just it's not slightly bad, down on each stat line, slightly down. So you were talking before about the last few years in being durable and, and a real um, stat filler on every column. So if he's having a game where he's not getting many touches, he'll tackle his way to a good score. If he's not get, taking many marks, he'll get lots of uh, you know, contested ball and score. So he's pretty much your, um, you know, your ultimate sort of fantasy guy. Yeah, game. and I, I think one of the reasons why what you've so well articulated that sense of, oh, Tuke was a little disappointing 
was if you were paying up for that 124.5 in Supercoach and the 122 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, that's where you're going, oh, that that wasn't what I expected, especially when over the first five weeks of the season in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, he's going at an average of 99 in Dream Team and Fantasy and and only, I use that terminology very loosely, only 115 in Supercoach. I think that's where the taste in the mouth kind of got a little bit buried out for people where they're like, oh, that's not really what I was kind of hoping to get out of him. But you look at that season in totality, in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, an average of 109.8 consisted of 15 tons. Nine of them were over 120. And these are big 120 plus scorers. We're talking 132, 133, 135, 140, 147. Some really nice big ceilings across the season from him. Alongside that, a bunch of other scores, 90 plus, and just the one score under 80 all year. We'll talk about that game. Don't worry about that. Pre-buy going at an average of 107.5. Post-buy going at 112.6. Let's jump over to his super coach season. An average of 120.8. 18 tons. No, I didn't stutter. 18 tons from every single one of the games played that he did last year, which was every single one of them across the 22. 18 tons. 11 of them 120 plus. And there is a bunch of really, really, really big scores. I am talking, let me give you his top five scores in no particular order. 167, 160, 157, 153, 153, and a 149. So in that format, maybe even more than in Dream Team and Fantasy, as relevant as he is across both, he's got not just a ceiling, but a frequency of ceiling that really makes him bring the pain for you. Just two scores under 80 all year, an average of 118.5 pre-buy, and he went at 123.6 post-buy. In Dream Team and Fantasy, ended up the year with the fourth highest points across the formats, seventh best for averages, while in Supercoach, third best scorer for points and fourth highest average for that format. Such a great year. Like when you look at it in totality, it does mm. feel much stronger than, as you so rightly mentioned, oh, that wasn't quite the year I got from Took. But if you look at it in a hole without the emotion, it still looks solid. I think as well, because some of his poorer scores in 2022 were in that first sort of third of the season. So yeah. if you had paid up for him, um, from round one, you'd, sure. you'd be a little disappointed, you know, in those first few. And then for the rest of those who didn't start with him, they were looking to pounce when he dropped his cash. So when you pick up a guy who's a, a fallen premium within a season, you do just sort of in the back of your mind think he didn't have a great year. But apart from a handful of games early days, um, which I think can probably be explained, I reckon... There was maybe a tag game, but yeah, it was a very curious um, period where he was tagged to a, I believe he was tagged to a 68 in Dream Team and Fantasy yeah. against the Giants. And yep, then the following Ash. two weeks, oh, that's right, Lucky Ash, that's right. Um, three. And then the following two weeks, he didn't make the ton in Dream Team Fantasy, but he didn't lay a tackle for two weeks. Yeah, and that was that the weird factor unusual. with him, isn't it? 
Yeah. You, you mentioned those three games. You're correct. Now, two of them were tons in Supercoach, a 105 and a 107. But it, between round three and five in Dream Team and Fantasy, averaged to 83. Got the Hewitt tag and the Ash tag. He's only other... And then the 99 against St. Kilda there was flying. Um, so in reality... But remember, no we're talk- Yeah. No in reality, we're talking yeah. about a guy who went under 80 once last year. And, and there's a couple of really weird games that are in the mix of that. Well, if you jump over in Supercoach, just the two scores under 90 all year. Um, one was that tag match that you've identified versus the Giants. The other, he played against the Dogs. This is a weird game because in that match, he had six clangers and went at a disposal efficiency of 42. Uh, like everything about that game was very untook like um, and outliers happen to even the best of them. But really what we've got is we've got a 2022 season. that's a little bit back from what we'd hoped or maybe purchased him at at our starting squads because 2021 was just so good. 120 plus averages across the format, number one scoring in a, in a bunch of different categories Um Ranked first for points and averages. Um, sorry, first for points. Uh, sorry, first for averages, third for points. Get your language right, MJ. In Dream Team <laughs> and Fantasy, Super Coach, um, 16 consecutive tons throughout the year, ranked sixth for total points. Like everything about him over the past two years, when you put it all together, it just looks really, really good for Tuke Miller. But let's get to the critical part of this analysis. Um, Gold Coast have run, certainly over the past year or two, a really tight centre bounce crew. It's always Wits, now that he's back from injury, Raul, Miller, Anderson. And, and we started to see um, we started to see David Swallow in and out of the side throughout the season. Um, there's some emergence of some young kids that we might see slide into that CBA. I'm talking, does Flanders get some opportunity? Does Elijah Hollands sneak in and pick up some opportunity? There are some guys that could um, start to clip a little bit of that. What's your reading of that Gold Coast Suns midfield makeup? Do you see it maintaining that really tight four? Because if that's the case, happy days. If not, what are the variables that you see might come out of this? Yeah, look, I don't think, I don't think took, you know, Miller's going to find himself in a different role no, or anything like I that. Agree. But I do think, I do think for Gold Coast to evolve, and and you know, there's a bit of talk about them this year. Could they finally make finals? And they're going to have to make some changes. But I think that when the Suns get better, there'll be less reliance on Miller to accumulate. Certainly, the way he does. Sure. And sort of dominate the way he has. So my only concern, and we're really splitting hairs at this point. Of and course. We're, we're so blessed for choice when you look at the, the Steels and the Brayshaws and the Olivers and the Lairs yeah. and the Mills. Like, there are so many very juicy options. So how do you differentiate? And for me, I think if the Suns are to improve, Duke Miller's fantasy output doesn't necessarily have to decrease, but I, I just don't know if he can have those big whoppers. I feel similarly about Laird. And then the other thing... For the Crows, on, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, for the Crows with Laird, it'll be a similar story. If the Crows improve, Laird's output should drop. And then, yeah, so it really just comes down to what do you think the Suns will do? I mean, you're not going to go wrong with Took Miller. I agree. Um, I don't think he's going to deliver any sort of failed season for you. 
But there are other guys around the price that I think could go to that next level, which we saw Miller do in 21. Yeah, I, I think certainly in Supercoach, being one of the handful of guys to go 120 plus and, and to start him, just to that reflection you made to the top of this podcast, the, oh, he only went 120 last year. It's like, come on, mate. He dropped a handful of points per game. But that's the yeah. point is it when you spend... Like certainly the conversation does shift when it's super coach because it, certainly his scoring in that format is, um, you know, slightly higher than in fantasy and dream. Absolutely. I, I agree. I think um, if the Rao, if Rao can be more than just a clearance guy and a tackle guy, that might clip a little bit. I think Noah Anderson's going to continue to be just that beautiful mix of inside and outside. Um, I think there's a world he spends even more inside and they allowed their developing cast of wingman and classy ball users on the outside to pick up more things. I, I think that's okay. I think if anything, the basement of Took will maintain the same. We might just see some of that top scoring not be as strong is absolutely potential narrative but the counter to it would be this what is Took's elite qualities is it his ball use he's fine he's got a disposal efficiency of 63 so it's not horrible but it's not great is it he's an elite tackler he's good but I don't think I'd say he's elite at that um, is he a good mark? Well, stats would say he's only getting a couple of those a game. He's not a goal-scoring midfielder. So what is it that makes Miller so good as a footballer and as a fantasy option? Simple. One thing, work rate. He has this ability to get from contest to contest to contest to contest to contest, to link up, to find space, to create pressure. His incredible hunger to be at every moment of the game that matters means he is always where the ball is. And anytime you're around where the ball is and you have the ability equally to win the tough contested footy, to get a clearance and to create defensive pressure if you're without the football, even if your ceiling might take a haircut at the very top, you're still going to be right in the mix for one of the top three to five midfielders for us across the formats. And those sort of players are very hard to tag. So we yes. saw him get tagged by Lockie Ash. I think that's going to be an anomaly. I think as Noah Anderson develops, he'll end up being the one they want to tag and Took Miller will be the sort of player that, look, we could tag him, but it's pretty hard to slow that guy down. So let's go you know, Noah Anderson or, or whoever it may be. So I think that's another positive for the future for Miller. It absolutely could be. Now, if you were listening to this podcast yesterday when we had um, Selby of Marrera's Magic on, I brought up this notion that for dream teamers and super coaches is important. Round 13, where there is just two teams in the multi-buy round, is being considered in those formats as a best 18. Gold Coast and Geelong, are in that best 18. Meaning, while round 13, you don't have your Stewarts who we alluded to yesterday, your Millers who we're talking about today, of your probably 27 or 28 guys, you've just got to get 18 on field. However, round 12, 14, and 15, 
it can be a lot harder to get not just a minimum of 18 on field, but to have someone that most weeks you feel really safe to put a vice captaincy or a captaincy marker on. One of the reasons Miller, I believe, is so relevant is not just because he's a 110 guy in Dream Team and Fantasy, not just because he's got a 120 back-to-back seasons in Supercoach. Are these good enough reasons to be in the top 10? Of course it is. But it's the fact that he could be the the just the solution to how you want to structure your buys. Now, whether it be trade in during the buys or start and build your structure that way around it, um, whether you believe that he'll pick up more tackles as the season goes on, or just the fact that there was a couple of outliers at the end of at the start of last year. For me, Took Miller, it feels pretty simple to me, Jordox. The question isn't, are you going to own Took Miller? The question really is, when? Are you going to own Took Miller, isn't it? Yeah, I'd be pretty shocked if he didn't make the top, you know, eight or ten primo mids by the end of the year. He's certainly going to be someone you're going to want to have by the end. So that is the question. Just get him in at start or, you know, try and find the right time during the year. And, you know, he's going to be so handy over those buyers, like you said. Yeah. Uh, as a reference point, they play Adelaide, Carlton and Hawthorne through those three weeks of multi-buys. So he did get tagged last year by McGuinness, but we did actually notice that he also tagged some halfbacks um, from there. So no certainty of what Hawthorne will do. I think everybody thinks Newcomb is the certainty in that midfield mix and then everything else, while Ward should be there, a lot of unknowns uh, along through there. Currently in 33% of Dream Team, 23% of AFL Fantasy and 36% of super coaches. And I think what you said earlier was really interesting where it feels like he's going under the radar in terms of people talking about him, but based on the ownership stats, he's not going under the radar. Rather, I think it's more people just going, we know what he is. He's a 110 mid in dream team and fantasy and a 120 guy in super coach. It's that old pricing strategy of putting something at 99 cents instead of a dollar. He's almost 999K in Dream Team, just under the mill, and he's got the 30% ownership. I'm sure that's not why, but who knows? Oh, we'll take it. <laughs> um, let's talk about drafts, though, before we wrap up this podcast. He's an M1 across the formats. Uh, where's he going? Is he a mid that you're happy to take in the first round, or is he one of those guys that, positionally wise, the other positions outside of the mid dominate and he finds himself early in the second. Where do you think he goes on draft day? Yeah, look, we've got we've got those positional guys like the, the forwards and the, even Doherty in the defence. But no, I don't think he gets squeezed out of your, your first round. I'd, I'd be pretty surprised if there were many first rounds that didn't have a Took Miller. I'd be happy to take him anywhere from, say, maybe pick five onwards, maybe the back of first first round. But uh, you know, what are you looking for in the first round? Often you're looking for a, a durable player who you could yep. make captain most weeks yep. if your comp plays captains. So, yeah, I think he's pretty safely a first rounder. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think he's a, anywhere from the mid to late in the first round right through to the early second. It all just depends on the variables of how many people are in the, uh, coaching in the league. What are the variables in terms of how many spots on field do you have to place and where? 
you find yourself drafting to. That is often really dictates a lot of who goes where. Do you like Steele more? Do you like Laird more? Do you like Oliver more? So I do see a world where he could drift into the early second if people go bullish on those top forwards. They take who they think are the best two or three mids. I'll pop an English. I'll grab a Doherty. All of a sudden, there is a world where it can happen, but he's gone inside the top 15, if not the top 20 selections on a draft every single day uh, i'm with you on that and hey, you get him so, in the teens you get him in the teens you'd be very very happy oh yeah yeah you certainly are that's for sure mate it's been a pleasure having you on this podcast thank you for your work my friend no worries mj if you want to go and check out the article on two kid is online for you now at coachespanel.tv along with all the other players we have revealed so far in the 50 most relevant. If you're loving the podcast, leave a five-star rating and a review and we'll make sure that uh, if you want some extra bonus content, you can join our Patreon supporter group for just a couple of bucks a month. We'll give you extra podcasts, articles, hidden group access, secret league codes, and a bunch of other rewards. Plus, you can get access to these episodes in our breakout and premium tier 24 hours early. So you can join the Patreon with the details. You can find it at coachespanel.tv. We're getting close to who I think is the most relevant player in 2023. Tomorrow, I'll give you one clue. He's the last player in his line in the 50 most relevant. Once I reveal this player tomorrow, there is no more players from that division coming in 2023. So you got to ask yourself, are we wrapping up the forwards tomorrow? We're wrapping up the mids tomorrow. We're wrapping up the backs. We're wrapping up the rucks. Or is he talking about a DPP? You'll find out tomorrow in the 50 most relevant. Give it all, now give it true.